It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have so much going on. Uh, you know, the pandemic would be enough on any given day. The challenges with China, which are out there, and the president's going to make a major announcement today. He also has an executive order that affects everybody, Facebook, Twitter. If you're on either one of those, uh, TikTok, whatever it is, uh, the president's going to reevaluate uh, through an executive order whether they should get immunity from uh, what newspapers go through. Uh, what they, should they be considered a host? It just allows you to post whatever you want. Or they should, should they be considered a publisher, like Washington Post or the New York Post? Uh, we're going to discuss that. The president is fed up. He's, already, he's actually already been censored uh, twice in two days. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy is going to be with us shortly. Uh, he is, of course, of Texas. And he is going to be here uh, talking about standing up this uh, country again. Also, another rescue package. And we're going to be joined by uh, Rick Perry. Uh, he bring, does something a little bit different where you're used to seeing. But as you know, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, that book is now out. Where there's going to be a two-part special on Fox Nation, which you're watching us on right now. Rick Perry joined me for a tour of Sam Houston's house. We're going to show you that. So right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My executive order calls for new regulations to make it that social media companies that engage in censoring or any political conduct will not be able to keep their liability shield. That's a big deal. It is. uh, Trump versus Twitter. The president's executive orders allow all of social media uh, to possibly be held under scrutiny for things that we feel are inaccurate or defamatory. Maybe I can sue them. Right now I can't. While Twitter attacks another one of the president's tweets. Number two. I do think as the country opens up and as the economy opens up, we're seeing some good glimmers of hope and growth on that. We could have growth of 20% at an annual rate, which would be the fastest growth in American history. Uh, There you go. Larry Kudlow just on with us on Fox and Friends moments ago. Pandemic. What are the cases? What cases? uh, What causes are up? Uh, What states are up, what are down, uh, and what about who's on track for normalcy? We'll discuss it. Number one. There is a lot of pain and anger right now in our city. What we have seen over the past couple of nights in terms of looting is unacceptable. Our communities cannot and will not tolerate it. Well, three straight nights, you don't have enough cops. You don't have, they did not do anything last night. They were backed out of the city. Uh, dozens of buildings burned to the ground. And get this, the precinct was burned to the ground. The mayor told the cops to get out of there. What the heck is going on? The George Floyd murder, and that's what it was, by a police officer with plenty of, plenty of uh, a dicey past, to say the least. He's killed, but it doesn't give you the right to burn down St. Paul and Minneapolis. No charges yet. We'll talk about that. Uh, I can't believe what I got up to today. When I, went, uh, when I was uh, watching Mike Tobin earlier, our reporter on the scene, I thought we were going to go a third day without, uh, the third day was going to be a day without violence, as it looks as though the prosecutor, the attorney general, the president of the United States was moving towards swift justice on those officers that were part of the killing of George Floyd. George Floyd, I don't care what he did with a $20 bill. I don't care. You don't cuff a guy and you don't suffocate him. 
because I believe the autopsy revealed that asphyxiation was the reason for his death. Now, in case you think the cop had a bad day, just like I predicted yesterday, uh, he didn't have a bad day. He's had a bad 19-year career. Ten conduct complaints on Derek Chauvin of Minneapolis. Three police officer shootings that led to no disciplinary action during his 19-year career. His buddy, Tao Thao, or his partner, the second officer seen in the video, also has a checkered past that includes allegations of police brutality and a lawsuit. Together, they have more than a dozen complaints about them. And now video also shown from the other side, the two officers were sitting on his back while he kneeled on his neck. Now, what I find befuddling, don't pretend to be a great legal mind, but I can just say this, Michael Freeman is the Hennepin County attorney. Michael Hennepin is being pressured to quickly give, a, give an idea of whether these guys should be arrested. They've been fired, but should they be arrested? My sense is once they arrested, it would defuse the situation. I don't want to arrest a cop arrested. I hate the thought of it. But if you kill somebody and we watch it in plain daylight, this guy's got all these dozens of problems in his past. Maybe it's one of these times because it makes all great cops look bad. So here's Michael Freeman, cut seven. That video is graphic and horrific and terrible, and no person should do that. But my job in the end is to prove that he violated a criminal statute. And there is other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. I will not rush to justice. I'm going to do this right. Wow. Really? What could it be? Trey Gowdy knows a thing or two about the law. He looked at this, and I want him to weigh in. Cut eight. Take the uniform off of that police officer. Just have a man with his knee on another man's neck. There'd already be an arrest. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't need to wait on the yeah. feds. This is a violation of Minnesota state law. This is murder. It's either murder one, two, or three under Minnesota law, but it's one of the three. So I'm happy that the feds are investigating civil rights violation, but you can take all the time you want for that. There's really no reason that this officer has not already been charged with either murder one, two, or three. But you heard me said there's something else that will not, uh, won't worship justice, that's fine. Other evidence does not support a criminal charge. What could that be? Doctored video? So the unrest is, and, and the upset, I get it. If you go back in the history of our country, we raised from slavery, but what happened after Reconstruction with uh, uh, African Americans being hung arbitrarily, being told not to vote, being intimidated not to get a job, I understand it. But here we are in 2020, tremendous progress has been made, and if this was racially charged uh, and it looks so similar to what we went through in the 1880s, 1890s, which happens in certain circles today, outrage has happened. But when you just destroy a target, when you burn down an auto zone, when you, when you ransack and steal everything out of a jewelry store, when you burn 60, 70, maybe 100 buildings over the course of three nights and cops are just forced to leave and you call up the National Guard and you have just 500 of them, which might as well just have five of them, they're not equipped to control this crowd. In fact, they weren't allowed to control this crowd from what I can ascertain. Van Jones weighed in from CNN. Cut 10. And so if you are white and you are watching this, look in your own life. How are you choking off black dignity, choking off black opportunity, choking off black people from having an opportunity to thrive? 
because it's not just that officer. This is a much deeper problem. How are all of us complicit in this? Uh, and, and, and how are all of us allowing this to happen? Uh, I don't have an answer today. I have not been this upset. I, I have not seen black people this upset in 20 years, uh, longer. And, 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 and I'm looking forward to hearing this press conference. I don't know what we're going to do. one 866 I like Van Jones. I don't agree with everything he says. But uh, by the way, I am not. I personally, and most people I know, uh, are not racist. They don't walk around looking to suppress African-Americans, uh, Spanish-Americans, anybody. Cuban-Americans, you could just name it. We're just living our lives. And that's why these convulsions of what seems to be racist behavior uh, is so revolting, especially, number two, is I know so many great cops who do the right thing all the time. And then when something like this happens, they're the angriest because it blows back on them. There was a problem in New York City. A bunch of people were arrested because of Minneapolis. Phoenix, because of Minneapolis. Denver, Colorado, because of Minneapolis. Los Angeles, California, because of Minneapolis. So the pressure goes on those cops. They're the ones who get their windows knocked out by a guy with a skateboard. They're the ones who make you work overtime and in riot gear in 100-degree weather because of what happened with these cops in Minneapolis with four fired and two looks like they look, they should be looking at murder charges. It makes them look bad because they don't do it for the money. Uh, they do it for Bill. Most of do it because they want to pay back to society and they feel they can play an important role. And that's what I, my experience with police officers is, one 408 7669 I've heard from a lot of them written, wrote me and said, number one, they can't believe they gave up the precinct in Minneapolis. Humiliating. This is not Fallujah or Kabul. You don't walk out of a police station in the United States of America. They literally drove off in their cars. They got that order from the mayor. Incredible. Um, I don't want to take too much time away from Chip Roy, but I do want to talk about what's happening with this uh, pandemic and where we're at right now and just give you an idea where the country's at. I knew it wasn't going to come to an end, the pandemic, just because we're starting to open up our country. It's absolutely necessary we do it. There's going to be debate later on on whether we should have shut down at all, even though so many other nations did it. And they said we had no they said we have no other choice. But if you look at Texas, things are going solid. Florida, they're going very well. In Georgia, okay. But a small handful of states, mainly clustered in the South, aren't seeing as enough improvement as we thought. The big picture uh, nationwide is, of course, good news. Uh, We're making fragile progress. There are stubborn pockets. Most of them are in the South, as I mentioned. Alabama, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, seeing some upticks and some downticks, depending where you are in the state. California, Minnesota, and Wisconsin are uh, hanging in, basically steady. Maine and Utah also have reported... Uh, not reported a single week of significant improvement. However, there's been an overclamp down in Maine. What an embarrassment. They don't even let these people in Maine uh, go to a store uh, or go to a restaurant. In New York and New Jersey, believe it or not, once we're the, we're the, the pinnacle of hot spots, we have the fewer cases than anyone else. So things are really going down there, here, where I'm at, but not going out down elsewhere. When we come back, I'm going to call, uh, talk to uh, Congressman uh, Chip Roy of Texas. Uh, He is with the Budget and Veterans Affairs Committee. He is part of the reason why uh, in the House the the FISA FISA program was voted down. So the president said, I'm going to veto it if I get it, the FISA reform. So they killed it. Now, the PPP program that I've been talking so much about, well-intended, but when it was in practicality, hard to implement, there's been some changes. Congressman Chip Roy, 
has those changes, was part of those changes. We'll review it with us next. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. What's happened now, and I'll even put the hit on the Democrats here. When the PPP program was initiated, great plan, right? But the key to making it work was getting stimulus money in the hands of businesses immediately. And so when the Democrats started over-negotiating, getting money for museums and everything, that created a delay. That meant that small businesses had to lay people off. Once small businesses laid people off, that, create, that really defeated the purpose of the payroll protection program. That now leaves businesses, small businesses, in a state of suspended animation. That was Mark Cuban uh, talking about the reality on the ground. He's been trying to advise the administration while being a constant uh, fixture uh, out uh, front and center. Uh, he was with Sean Hannity last night. Congressman Chip Roy joins us, a fellow Texan uh, like Mark Cuban, and a member of the Oversight and Reform Budget and Veterans Affairs Committee. Congressman, you're all over reforming the PPP program. What changes did you guys overwhelmingly approve? 
Yeah, well, thanks, Brian. I was happy to work with my friend Dean Phillips, who's a congressman from Minnesota. Obviously, my thoughts go out to him and the folks out in Minnesota that they get calm, restored there uh, soon. And uh, he and I worked together to be able to get this passed 417 to 1 because we all recognize that these small businesses, these restaurants, were getting hammered. Uh, because despite the great work of getting the dollars out through the PPP to as many as 4 million businesses, a lot of them were sitting on the capital. Some didn't get the loans, or they were scared to deploy capital because they didn't know if the economy would be started up again. And and importantly, they didn't know if they could hire people back under the strict rules that were put into the PPP program that was passed back in March. So our bill provides greater flexibility because these businesses need the flexibility to survive. Uh, The Texas Restaurant Association, for example, says that as many as 12% of our restaurants in Texas could be permanently closed. And I represent 2,300 restaurants that employ 53,000 people, hotels, live music venues. You know, it's Austin, Texas, after all. And we need to make sure we keep them afloat. So we'll extend the zone, the time, from eight weeks to 24 weeks that allows them to bring employees back. Uh, We give them greater flexibility to spend more of the dollars on mortgage and rent and other things that are important to stay afloat uh, while they work to hire people back. They all desperately want to hire their employees back. Many are doing it, but many have a tough time doing it, in part because Democrats demanded that we increase unemployment insurance such that we're paying people more not to work than to work. So it's glad to have a bipartisan approach to try to get the step forward to get our businesses uh, coming back. Fellow Texan, again, let's keep it in Texas. Tillman Fertitta, he owns 600 restaurants, uh, the chain of uh, the, the Palm, the Golden Nugget, uh, five casinos, hotels. He owns uh, Del Frisco's. He owns uh, Bubba Shrimp. Uh, I mean, it goes nonstop, 600. He's already stood up 270 around the country in, in uh, 40, over 40 states, but, of course, located as owner of the Houston Rockets. He asked this of the PPP program, Cut 23. When they put the PPP program in place, it was for everybody. And just certain little people didn't get it ahead of time. But I think you're going to start seeing bigger companies get it. They realize that there's an issue. There's still like $140 billion there. Almost everybody that's a little company has received it at this point. They realize it's a problem. Because I'm not a public company. I can't sell stock and raise equity to be able to do this. And uh, I appreciate the administration realizing it's an issue. And they want to get this money out to people to hire employees back. I think they're going to make adjustments to make it work for everybody. Will they? I mean, if he, if, if he didn't have those 600 restaurants, there'd be 600 individual owners. The fact that he has 600 restaurants makes him ineligible in theory, for this program. That's not really right. Well, you're raising an important part about who this applies to. I was talking, for example, to some business owners in Austin, Texas, that are getting hammered because they, and interestingly, they provide cleaning services, right? And we really want everything to be clean right now. Uh, but there's, you know, they're above the threshold, right, in terms of their 500 employees and the various rules and requirements that defines you as a small business. But they're still getting hammered because of how much things are, are, are closed down and inability to get out there and do their jobs. So I think there ought to be continued uh, expansion and flexibility of providing uh, capital to make sure that these businesses can stay afloat. Obviously, targeting the small businesses is very important. In the bill that we put forward, we focus on staying within the the four corners of the PPP program and just trying to make sure it... 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It's more flexible and provides what is necessary for all of these mom-and-pop shops. They're getting crippled. But I do think there's room for the administration. They've got flexibility in some of the dollars that were put forward at the Treasury Department, the $500 billion that was given to Mnuchin to provide liquidity and flexibility. I think they can do more with that to provide help for, for people like Tillman and, and the folks that have these great big uh, uh, companies but still have massive numbers of people working for them, and they still need they still have liquidity issues that, that they need to deal with in order to keep everything afloat. Look, you can't have – job uh, uh, being saved if there isn't a business to go back to work to, right? And that's what's important. We've got to keep these businesses afloat and, importantly, open our daggum economy and jobs and society up again. I'm glad Greg Abbott and the governor of Texas, uh, Kemp in Georgia, uh, DeSantis in Florida, many others are following their lead. And we've got to get things back again, as your colleague Janice Dean has been focused on heavily. The problem is in the nursing homes and the assisted living facility uh, where we've had over almost 50 percent of the deaths have occurred and yeah. we need to make sure we protect the vulnerable there congressman chip Roy, thanks so much uh, see if you can help matt he's got forty thousand employees likes to extend them from the fox news podcasts network i'm ben dominich publisher of the federalist and i'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going subscribe to the ben dominich podcast subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm reflecting on all of the killings of uh, young black men in particular, but of course, black women too, uh, at the hands of the police uh, and at the hands of, uh, you know, these white supremacists. And I'm thinking about the way that the president conducts himself uh, in a way he's dog whistling And I think that they're feeling uh, that they can get away with uh, this kind of treatment. That is Maxine Waters, of course, blaming the president. Can you imagine if she represented you in your community? I literally would move out. I'd be so embarrassed by her. I mean, everyone's political. I get it. But to blame the president for what's going on? Unbelievable. It's not unbelievable. It should be understandable because we, we've been going through it for so long. one 408 7669 Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the president's war against Twitter and all the social media outlets. We're also uh, talking about uh, what's going on with the pandemic as we wait to move forward in, te- in, uh, in New York and New Jersey and Michigan and Maine. Now, places in Pennsylvania should be opened up a lot quicker. I think politics is at play. Uh, we'll discuss that. Let's go to the phones. Harold, listening on 680 AM in North Carolina. Hey, Harold. Good morning. I just heard Ms. Waters, and it's it's uh, and I'm a black man, and it's, it's really annoying that black people are killed every day. There was a black woman in Baltimore who was shot and killed in her beauty salon in broad daylight with a room full of people, and nobody protested, nobody rioted. Black Lives Matter, you couldn't find them, and I didn't hear anything from her about it. 
the bottom line is. Well, let me ask you. Wait, whoa, whoa. Can you just back up on Baltimore? What do you mean? It was just like an assailant or a cop or? No, 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 no. It was a black woman who was, had a beauty salon in Baltimore. The place was burglarized a couple of times. She made a complaint against the people that did it. They came to her shop in broad daylight with a room full of people. Nobody's phone came out. They shot and killed her. The case is still open. I didn't hear anybody making noise about it. Nobody rioting about it. Nobody, you don't hear it because it doesn't fit the narrative. The bottom line is that cop in Minnesota should be dealt with accordingly. But if you over indict and the evidence doesn't make out the indictment, that you're going to have another problem because they're going to walk. And this rush to judgment is ridiculous. Take your time, do what you got to do, get it right. But my thing is, if you're if Black Lives Matter, they should matter all the time, every day. Not pick and choose when you when they matter. Very interesting. And when you when you say that to other members of the black community, do they agree with? Do most of your friends agree with you? Most of no, other, no, no, uh, I, no. I get a lot of blow, I get a lot, I, I get a lot of blowback, and I and I get a lot of name calling. The bottom line is, we killed. There was forty nine shootings in Chicago last weekend. Ten people died. None of those people were shot by white supremacists or KKK or Bloodhead or Aryan Nation people. They were all shot by other black people, and nobody's making any noise about it. You're tearing up a city because, and I feel sorry for the Floyd family. I hope they deal with that cop, go put him in jail, do whatever you got to do. But tearing up the city where you live, that's not making the correct statement. I'm, I'm sorry. That's now, wrong. Now, I'm going to can I, can I tap into you, Harold, for your uh, law enforcement knowledge again. I don't know where the cops were yesterday. I'm listening to the, re- I'm watching the reporters. They didn't hear any sirens. They didn't see a police presence. 500 National Guards members look scared to death. That 500 is not enough. How does that happen? Do you think the order came from the mayor or governor? Let people blow off steam and blow up their own town? Of course they stood down. They stood down in Baltimore, and you're setting a bad example because every time somebody gets ticked off now, the, re- the remedy is, go and riot and tear up stuff, and guess what's going to happen? The cops are going to pull back, and nobody's going to get arrested. And that's not, and that's not going to stop people from – to me, it's ridiculous that – well, the mayor out there looks like he's a cream puff anyway. So his, his name was probably – you know, I don't want any more confrontations. But the bottom line is it's wrong. Black lives should matter every day. Go get him, Harold. Thanks so much. Appreciate the contribution to the show and what you're doing every day. Frank, listen on WOKV in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. Frank. Yes, sir. Brian, boy, you're breaking my heart with some of your comments. Look, three things, the last thing is most important. They walked into the car. Something happened at the back. Was he kicking or biting? Number two, I wouldn't have done what he did. But number three, if the autopsy, an official autopsy, does not show asphyxiation, the cop can't be charged criminally. Everyone is rushing to judgment. Where is the presumption of innocent? Where is guilty? Uh, we read rights to all of these guys arrested, except for the cops. Sacrificial lambs. And I'll tell you, I worked in New York in the 70s. We were hiding, hiding not to get involved. And crime went through the roof in the 70s till Giuliani came because we were terrified. We were political, including me. And by the way, I worked in a tactical unit. I had like 20 complaints. That's all the mutts would do is make complaints against us to get even with us. We had our own sign-in book, and I was not guilty of any of them. 
they said two things. They beat me up and they stole my money. It was a constant refrain. And after a while, sir, you start to really hunker down, especially when you saw other guys get fired and put in prison over trying to do the job. I'm not going to say he was right. If, it, if it's asphyxiation, he's totally guilty of killing him. No doubt about it. But if it's not asphyxiation, like in the Garner case, he died two hours later in a hospital. His heart, his obesity, and the stuff he had in his system killed him. Not the, not the chokehold. A couple of things. Um, do you believe that a guy should be still with the handcuffs? Do you ever treat somebody in handcuffs like that? No, I wouldn't. But wait a second. At the rear of that car, we don't have the video. The first video, they're walking him to the back. He either kicked and started biting. Maybe he said, I got AIDS. I'm going to bite your ass. Who knows? And he's trying to hold his head down. If you ever see that show, The Live Cops, you'll see how hard it is to restrain anyone even handcuffed, especially when they're trying to bite you. You don't want to get bit nowadays. Maybe one of them did get bit. What the attorney said, some kind of evidence is out there. That tells me they did a quick preliminary look at his throat, his esophagus, his larynx, and it not, it's not from asphyxia in his eyes, the pedicardia and the, the tissues in his eyes. Uh, so I have a feeling he didn't die from asphyxiation. We don't know what kind of stuff was in his system. We don't know if he had a heart. Exaggerate. Yes, it looks terrible. I wouldn't have done it like that. But, uh, sir, legally, if he didn't die of asphyxiation... It's not criminal. They'll try to make it criminal, but it's not. We have to wear cops. We they come after us with the hammers of hell. Meanwhile, we got to write every single dirtbag in the world gets all of these rights and free lawyers, and they laugh at us, laugh at us, sir. And to throw the well, cops, a couple, maybe a couple they, of things. If you, you're you're right, if the if the asphyxiation, I'm looking at the for the autopsy. But if it's asphyxiation, that's it. But if, uh, if, if what they did by knocking him, by putting him into the ambulance unconscious, led to his death, how are you not responsible for that death? And it makes good cops like you, sir, look terrible. I'm going to come back, and uh, you're going to hear from, uh, on a different note to lighten it up a little bit. Governor Rick Perry talks about his idol, Sam Houston. We look back at one of the great men in America's past, Brian. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen... The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade Show continues with a, a special break from what's happening with the pandemic and uh, the fight Trump versus Twitter. And that is just a look at a special that's coming out on Fox Nation on Sam Houston. Uh, it's very rare when someone who's governor of a state happens to be an expert on the first governor of the state. But that's the story with Rick Perry, uh, the former governor of Texas who happens to be a big fan of Sam Houston. We went to Sam Houston's last house in Texas on the campus of Sam Houston University. And you're going to hear some room noise and some backdrop, but I wanted you to hear some of the interplay with a name name you know because he was former Secretary of Energy, ran for president, ran the biggest state, uh, the most prosperous state. So he was able to come down and meet me, just put his day on hold. And I wanted to bring you an extended look at this interview that you're not going to see on Fox Nation 
So uh, that's what I thought was important. Number two is I find Sam Houston endlessly interesting. Not because I wrote the book Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. When I went in, I had no idea what an impact this guy made. He knew where this country was heading. He bled red, white, and blue. What he was able to do in delivering Texas ultimately to the Union, he probably was the only one to do it because he was so connected politically to the apparatus in Washington along with caring about Texas. And he did this thing brilliantly. He told uh, America, if you don't take Texas in, Britain will take us back. And he said, I need security from Mexico who were at our borders, who were rattling for some type of revenge and um, because they felt as though they, they got, got duped out of Texas when they actually got beat out of Texas. And the British said, we got a huge Navy, huge army. I'll help you out. I'll make you prosperous. You can be the president. You don't have to necessarily be the governor. So you can be the president of a country still. So here's my interview with uh, Rick Perry. Mike, can you bring us through as if we knew nothing about Sam Houston? Sure. So here in the American Frontiersman Wing, we have all the wonderful history that made Sam famous before he came into Texas. Politics in Tennessee with Andrew Jackson, uh, living with the Cherokee Indians. He had a tough upbringing in that his dad dies young, his, and yes. his mom decides, I'm going to go further west, right? That's right. She, along with many of the Americans of that time period, um, well, his dad started the process to, to purchase land out west. And when he dies, she says, you know what? Let's do this. Let's fulfill dad's promise. And she packs up the kids two wagons and heads west. How many kids? Uh, he's number five of nine children. Think about that. A woman alone, there's no social safety net. She basically just has her kids and maybe the promise of what may be ahead. Of what, yes, of what might be ahead later on. So that's what this is, right? Yes. So on to Tennessee. On to Tennessee. So he's, he's, he's living in Tennessee. Uh, Mom says, you know what, let me put you in school. And he really doesn't do a very good job in school. He's kind of a C student. He ends up uh, working the family farm. And he doesn't really want to push a plow very much at all after that. Uh, So they say, well, you need to work the family store, the mercantile store. And he says, you know, I I don't want to count sacks of flour. And I'm much more adventurous than that. So he runs away from home. And he goes to live with the Cherokee Indians. And this is a particular time in his life as a teenager that it's forming his very core of what it means to be uh, involved with society, what it means to to really soak up the politics of the Cherokee Nation, which was very well established. But think about this. A guy that accomplished so much, he's one of the great historic figures of our time, that's why we're talking about him, couldn't have started out with less promise. Kind of lazy, distracted, didn't go to school that much. yes. And then runs away from home without, with a single parent family. You might be thinking to yourself, this guy's not going to amount to anything. So we see here what he was going through as a child, the, the tribulations of going across country in just a wagon, him going with the Cherokee Indians. Living with the Cherokee period. Indians for about three years. And it, during that time, he actually builds up a debt uh, at, his, at his family's uh, mercantile store. And his brothers finally track him down. They say, hey, if you want to be an honorable person, you're going to have to pay this back to mom. You're building up quite a bit. Because he would give gifts to the, to the Cherokee and, uh, and, and other individuals. And so finally he opens this wonderful school in an existing structure there in Maryville, Tennessee, outside of Maryville, the one-room schoolhouse. And he teaches school for one full year. He may have been one of those young people that we see today 
who, you know, whether they were ADD, but the, uh, a brilliant young person who was held back by everyone else. Who knows? I who mean, knows? That's he, a great point. Because but, but Houston that, that is a very good was point. a brilliant, brilliant man. So he decides at uh, 18, i got to join the military. Yes. By namesake alone, he could walk into any Army office and be given a commission. Your dad was because Houston is a famous name. Houston is a famous name. His dad was was in the elite cavalry squadron, Morgan's Rifle Brigade of George Washington's army. But he said, "I would rather honor the ranks than disgrace a commission." And so he he enlists, and and of, of course that's when his mom gives him that wonderful gold band inscribed with the single word honor, and that's something he lived by all of his life. Governor, what does that mean to you? Th that's probably the most powerful story. Of, of, of dozens of powerful stories about Sam Houston. When his mother gave him that ring, had honor engraved in it, and gave him a musket. Mm -hmm. When your mother is sending you off to war. But here's another prediction that Sam Houston had that came true. He said, you shall hear of me. That's right. As he went off to the War of 1812, mm -hmm. as an officer. He, he tells his brothers this and, and from his mother. You know, the door of my house is always open, but it's shut if I hear bad things. Uh, uh, I would rather have all of my children fill one honorable grave than have any one of them turn their backs to save themselves. And he says, you know what? You'll hear of me. Wow. I, I, will, I, will, I will do good things. War was going terribly, but things began to turn around when Andrew Jackson gets involved. That's right. So Jackson ends up having this uh, young man underneath him named Sam Houston, culminating, for Houston anyway, in his last battle in That's 1814, right. the Battle of Horseshoe Bend. That's right. And so there at the bend of the Tallapoosa River, the idea is that there is one last uh, breastworks that, that, uh, that, uh, that Andrew Jackson had to take, and, and he has this council of war with his officers saying, I need someone that's going to lead this charge. It's slim chance that you're going to make it past the breastworks, but with everyone behind you, we can make this happen. And here, here's the wounded Sam Houston, who previously had taken a barbed arrow to the hip and had actually, because the surgeon said, hey, you lost too much blood, we're going to put you in the corner. If you live, you live. If you die, you die. Sam didn't like that too much. So he had one, one of the surgeons literally just pull it out, and out came a hunk of meat. And that's a wound that affected him for the rest of his life. Wow. Uh, I mean, you see the statue on the highway. You think about the, the, the being shot in the, in the ankle at San Jacinto. People think that Sam Houston was using a cane from Texas on. No, he was using a cane yeah. since he was a teenager. So let's describe this. Uh, Jackson's Army's here. That's right. This here, is the... Here, here are the breastworks. He says, we need to take these, but we need someone who, is, who, who can lead this charge. And before he realized it, there's the wounded Sam Houston rounded up about 30 or 40 people, and they were going down the hill. And Sam, even uh, he, had to, he doubted himself, so he turned back. He, he looked at the rest of the crew who were probably thinking, is this guy really as crazy as what he's doing? Uh, but at the same time, he was shot in the forearm, his right forearm, and that went to his front right shoulder, uh, completed the rest of the battle, uh, but then in, in doing so was shot in the, in the same shoulder, in the, in the right shoulder, but from the backside. Uh, and, of course, that particular assault allowed Andrew Jackson to take this battle. And, <laughs> and, and, and there it was. He had, he had he'd become, uh, he'd, he, he would be, he was on the radar of, of Andrew Jackson. Wow. That was it. And he would have a mentor the rest of his life. The rest of his life, which was, I think it goes beyond just a mentor-protege relationship. You know, Andrew Jackson didn't have any kids of his own. So the people whom he had around him were very much his nuclear family. And, and, and Sam Houston was very much a part of that. 
So the Battle of Horseshoe Bend happens, and he ends up seeing Washington, D.C. burn to the ground. Yes. And he also has a bunch of injuries, and he wonders what's next, and what's next would be Congress. Yes, and so with the help of Andrew Jackson, uh, Sam breaks the, 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 the barrier of, of being able to learn law uh, and passes the bar in a third of the amount of time that it would have usually have taken at right. that time period. Usually, they So the kid that dropped out of school is now a lawyer right. and a war hero. That's right. Well, special thanks to the governor for helping us out that day. And we also had a chance to see Marcos Luttrell in the background. Him and his brother came down just to have some fun at Sam Houston University. Uh, of course, you could see a whole two-part special on uh, what makes America great on Fox Nation. You'll get to see two parts on Sam Houston uh, and his Texas fight for freedom. But his entire life, what he did, what he was able to accomplish, and why he never became president of the United States, which is uh, one of the big mysteries. But he had quite an interesting life, and he is bigger than life, especially in Texas, and hopefully now in your living room. And if you want to get Sam Houston... And the Alamo Avengers, I hope you do. Go to briankillme.com where you can just click on the book and you can get it personalized. It goes to my local bookstore, which of course is closed. But we open up the back door and I go in and I'm able to handle exactly uh, what you want and customize it the way you prefer. So keep it here. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Make it a great day, everybody, if you have to leave. is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Geraldo's going to be with us in a matter of moments. At the bottom of the hour, one of the most impressive military minds in the world, Admiral James Stravitas, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, we are upping the pressure on China today. The president doing everything from possibly backing legislation to pull them out, uh, pull their companies out of the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. They have about 150, but they don't submit to any type of uh, audits. Why are we letting them on there anyway? We might be kicking out uh, dozens of Chinese graduate students, many of which are members of the military, and they might just be spying. Okay, it's more than likely they are. We're going to discuss that and more. Keep in mind, if you're ever traveling, uh, radio.com app, if you, can pay, if you can't get to our local affiliate, and briankillmeadshow.com, you know, if you want to see it streaming, and Fox Nation is where you can actually watch us. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My executive order calls for new regulations to make it that social media companies that engage in censoring or any political conduct will not be able to keep their liability shield. That's a big deal. Uh, there we go. Trump first Twitter. The president's executive order targets all of social media and Twitter attacks one of his tweets again. Number two. I do think as the country opens up and as the economy opens up, we're seeing some good glimmers of hope and growth on that. We could have growth of 20 percent at an annual rate, which would be the fastest growth in American history. And he thinks it'll happen. Larry Kudlow is the leader of the pandemic. Uh, while the cases are up in some cases, many states are down, including New Jersey and New York. Here's a hint to the governors. If you want to get some revenue... Let us work again. Number one. There is a lot of pain and anger right now in our city. What we have seen over the past couple of nights in terms of looting is unacceptable. Our communities cannot and will not tolerate it. 
Uh, that is Mayor Jacob Fry, uh, about 2.30 in the morning, Eastern Time. Minneapolis, St. Paul explodes with riots and destruction. Day three, a police precinct is set on fire, burned to the ground, all evacuated rather than fight for it. All in response to the death of George Floyd, killed at the hands of Minneapolis police. No charges yet. However, this does not justify the looting and lawlessness. And uh, that's really the focus of right now. So let's bring in Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, I know you, from what you've seen, you believe this officer was way over the line. But what about I, I think the reaction? Brandy tortured the guy. He tortured him. He tortured him to death. What if he didn't? Well, let me just look at that. I look at that and I agree with you. He's saying, I can't breathe. Uh, it looks like his, he was, had a foot on his back, a hand in his pocket, uh, a foot on his neck. Turns out, a reverse camera had another guy on his back. So he's a big guy. I get it. But what if he died? At 9.30 that night, he dies. What if the, t- the autopsy shows he didn't die of asphyxiation? I don't think that that will mitigate the rage that has spread malignantly through that and many other American communities as a result. It seems to me now that you have set in motion a kind of Rodney King response, wherein communities of color have finally reached a boiling point. They, it happens every decade where they just can't take any more with the with the deed captured on video is so egregious that it can't be forgotten uh, you know imagine if you're a black mother and you your kids going out you're 18 your 20 year old kids going out to the movies or hang out with his friends at the mall or something like that and the image you have is george floyd being suffocated or his carotid artery being crushed by a cop uh, by a white cop with a smug look on his face that was so absolutely disgusting uh, that uh, that must be the nightmare of these folks. You have to walk in the other person's shoe. I, I deplore the violence. I think they should be all arrested. Uh, you throw a rock, you should be arrested. You go in the target, you loot, you should be arrested. You, for God's sake, you burn down the precinct, you should be shot. If you're if you're assaulting policemen in the in the precinct, the president is right. The cops have every right to defend themselves, and I think that uh, the Minneapolis's response to these uh, these so-called protesters was much more benign than it should have been. A lot of that destruction could have been avoided if the national guard and the police had been used more vigorously. Yeah, but that. Do you want to hear what the mayor ever... said? Yeah, sure. Right here's here's what the mayor said because I watched it at two thirty in the morning. That's when I'm up. The mayor was live, and here's what he said. is like, why did, you, why did the police leave their own precinct? Cut three. It became clear that there were imminent threats uh, to both officers uh, and uh, public, and I made the decision uh, to evacuate the third precinct. What, what do you think about that decision? Bullets, for God's sakes, what about rubber bullets? What about tear gas? What about, uh, you know... Uh, locking arms in a, in a phalanx and, and showing uh, some, uh, some moxie. It just, uh, uh, you know, to give up. What the hell? You know, I, I've seen so many of these cities. Uh, you know, uh, the West Baltimore, uh, the Freddie Gray situation where I was on the ground and, and watched it all unfold. To watch that town, which was struggling and is struggling, you see it from the Amtrak, and it's uh, 30,000 burned-out brownstone shells on that west side. And to see their, their only functioning store,
stores, buildings, the Rite Aid and so forth, being destroyed and not replaced. So those folks live more of a more lorn, uh, forlorn and melancholy existence than ever by their own hand. It is, uh, you know, it is pathetic. Uh, you know, look what this cop did. I really believe that this cop, uh, the guy who, uh, Derek Chauvin, who, who killed uh, George Floyd, he has all of that violence on his hands as well. He set in motion this bomb. But for God's sakes, those who are doing the exploding are hurting their grandmas, they're hurting yeah. their children. Uh, you know, it is, a, so it is a malignancy. Here's what the officer has in his past. Ten conduct complaints, three police shootings that led to no disciplinary action during his 19-year career. Here's what the second officer's background is. Uh, they see He's seen on the video, too. He has a past. Uh, allegations of police brutality and a lawsuit. Together, the men have over a dozen complaints. But yet when Mike Freeman, who's a Democrat, uh, from the he's a Hennepin County attorney, when he had a chance to charge, he said this yesterday. Cut seven. That video is graphic and horrific and terrible, and no person should do that. But my job in the end is to prove that he violated a criminal statute. And there is other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. I will not rush to justice. I'm going to do this right. What could that other evidence be, that he died of something else, complications, when he got to the hospital, not of asphyxiation? Well, I don't think it would make any difference. If, if in a legal sense, Brian, if anything the cops yeah. did contributed to his death, then it's as if they committed the, the whole crime. They don't get, okay. uh, they, don't, they don't skate because of, uh, he had a defective heart valve that misfired. Because what we watched is undeniable. You know, uh, Hannity does that mixed martial arts, and he does the carotid artery thing. He, 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 he'll tell you that in 10, 15 seconds, that's all it takes. For eight minutes, you know, I had a doctor on my radio show yesterday, a black doctor who I know very, very well. We work together on the Minority Men's Health Center here in Cleveland. He said that when he watched it, he said to himself, my God, this cop is trying to render this man permanently brain dead. You know, when you cut off the oxygen to the brain that way, there is a, there's a maliciousness there that goes be, be way beyond anything that could be sanctioned. In ple- Even if he was squirming and fighting and, uh, you know, uh, I'll kill you, I'll kill your mother as soon as I get out of these, you know, e- even there it would have been unacceptable. But that's not what happened. He was docile. He did not resist. There's not an allegation that he resisted arrest. That we've arrest. seen, yeah. And they, they killed him. Listen, I, I get it. I, I just don't get I also thought you have an obligation as a law enforcement to come up with a plan. And this is day three. And you only have 500 National Guardsmen. You evacuate a police station. And I'm looking at Axios this morning, and they have quotes from uh, reporters, local and national, they all said they heard no sirens and didn't see police as if they got this, the word to back out. And then you have riots in New York, 70 arrested, riots in Phoenix. I wouldn't say riots, but unrest. Riots in Phoenix two days ago, Los Angeles. Uh, so this is really rippling Louisville, throughout the country. Columbus. Yeah, and Louisville, they say, was unrelated to this story. Well, Breonna Taylor, uh, black but, woman. Yeah, right. And then you have the horrible situation in Georgia after that. 
Well, I, with uh, I the shooting I, that came out a couple months before. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, these 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 cancerous. First of all, let me just deal. Let me just stick to Minneapolis and the cops. This is what yep. happens when a rampantly progressive, liberal, MSNBC-loving mayor gets caught in a situation where he is called upon to exercise Be a leader. necessary force to maintain order, and he lets his politics get in the way. I mean, he, he was inexcusable. As a battlefield commander, he surrendered his city. And I think that it is unforgivable, and I, I think he should be voted out of office, Brian. All right, a couple of things. So the president last night tweeted this. I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city. A lot of, a lot of uh, total lack of leadership. Either the very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, get his act together and bring the city under control, or I will send the National Guard in and get the job done right. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is willing to help. Any difficulty will assume control, but when the looting starts... The shooting starts. Thank you. So when when someone read this back to Jacob Fry last night, here's what Jacob Fry said back. Cut four. Weakness is refusing to take responsibility for your own actions. Weakness is pointing your finger at somebody else during a time of crisis. Donald Trump knows nothing about the strength of Minneapolis. We are strong as hell. Is this a difficult time period? Yes. But you better be damn sure that we're going to get through this. I don't even know what that means, but what do you think? Well, I, I think that what you saw there is a battlefield commander who surrendered and now is angry uh, that the commanding general back in Washington has pointed to his utter failure, the mayor's utter failure to protect his city. I think that uh, when, when the assessment is done, there has to be a tally of how much urban discord and violence cost Minneapolis and how much inaction and a, 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 a studied, intentional turning away from what was happening, how much violence was caused by that. Certainly the burning of the third precinct, the burning of the affordable housing, the looting of the minority-owned stores, uh, all of the, the big box stores there, they'll never come back. Or if they do, it'll be years from now, given the economic situation of today. I think what the mayor has done is he has abandoned his combat post. He is AWOL. And the president's flamboyant uh, incendiary remarks about shooting if they start looting, uh, you know, you, you have to put that through the Trumpian filter that we all have come uh, to make part of our lives, Brian, you and I particularly. Uh, we understand Trump. We understand that he doesn't literally mean, or even if he does, he means it in a context where people can understand if someone's breaking in a store and they're wrecking and, and shooting at cops, then they get shot at. I mean, I don't believe that the president literally meant uh, to use deadly force uh, in a willy-nilly fashion. But I, I think that uh, the president's uh, rhetoric, uh, when compared to the mayor's wishy-washy cowardice, is, uh, is something that is very vivid in people's minds, Brian. Right. I just said, why use the word shooting? Uh, why even bother putting the word thugs out there? Because it could be, it takes away from the message you want to get out. Uh, but the president did that, and it just gives his, uh, makes him the part of it and lets all his enemies tee off on him instead of on the people that, that should. And he's done all the right things with his Department of Justice. 
He's done all the right thing by your acting. At the same time, you got a responsibility as, as horrific as that video looks. You can't just say, he's guilty, he should be put in jail. You can't do it. You're the president. So, I, But I, you could I, say I exactly what he said. I agree. Yeah. So thanks so much. Uh, Geraldo, okay. you've been great on this. I watched you last night. You helped me, uh, helped me a lot for today. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Talk to you later, Geraldo. Bye-bye. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we put it all in context. When we come back, I'm going to be able to take your calls and then examine what the president's going to do. And it's going to be impactful with China, with James Stravitas. But next, I want to hear from you guys. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New York City is yet, yet to hit phase one, but that's what we are pointing towards. And then once you hit phase one, you continue to monitor the metrics. If all is good, you move to phase two accordingly. It is about rate of hospitalization, number of hospital beds, number of ICU beds. Yeah, we know. And it's basically down to these hospitals are going broke because they can't take in other patients uh, besides the coronavirus patients. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Brian Kilmeade here, the epicenter of this uh, of this pandemic has always been New York, followed by New Jersey, then Massachusetts, I think Pennsylvania. And why New York, with the, with the numbers falling off the charts, can't get into phase one, which is basically manufacturing things like fishing, is so frustrating because Governor Cuomo, you have no tax dollars, you have no tax base. One out of every small businesses in the country, it's probably higher in New York, are not coming back to pay you. Now they're begging salons and furniture stores and florists and restaurants and gyms are begging to come back and be responsible and open. And you just say, well, we're not ready for phase one. Inexcusable. And what about Michigan? Still locked up. Terrible governor there. Rob, listen on the Fox News Radio app in Westchester, New York. Hey, Rob. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? What's on your mind? Yep, what's on your mind? Um, everybody's upset about Trump's tweet about looting begins, the shooting begins. What I don't see anybody reporting yes. on is the truth of what the tweet means. There's people in Minnesota that are good people that don't want to lose their target or their shop right or their CVS pharmacy. They don't want this violence, this kind of stuff, and it puts them in danger. And the mayor has to be protecting all people. Rob, would you have tweeted that out, though? Listen, would you, you have know, put you know, shooting in your tweet of like, president? Would I? Yeah. Me? Yeah, probably, because like him, I don't have much of a filter. You, everybody knows where they stand with me. I don't lie to anybody. I tell them how I feel. So nobody can say anything that's not true. You know where you stand. All right, Trump, Rob. I know where I stand. Yeah, listen. Listen, I understand. I like that he weighed in on it. I love the way he handled the, he's talking about uh, George and, uh, you know, it's a tragedy from what I've seen. He can't say he's wrong or the cop's right, but he, he gets it because he can't rush to judgment. He's got too much power. But if you could just keep the shooting and the word thug out of the tweet, this is a way to get your approval rating up five points and start making the putting the pressure on this Democratic leadership that is falling on its face in a time in which they need to stand up strong. The president's doing everything right. If he could work with the language, he'd get 100. And he'd make Anderson Cooper and company 
focus on a bad mayor and terrible tactics when it comes to police work. Doesn't mean they're terrible in Minneapolis, believe me. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Admiral James Stravitas, and I'm going to end with more to know and a few of your calls. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So I think you'll see in the coming days, the president make a series of announcements with respect to this that recognizes the threat to the United States of America, the American people's security, as it emanates from this tyrannical regime inside of China. Make no mistake about it, President Trump is the first president, and this isn't political, uh, President Bush, President Obama, they all refused uh, to recognize the threat that the Chinese Communist Party presented to the United States of America. Well, is that true? Well, let's bring in Admiral James Tervitas as we listen to Mike Pompeo tee up a big announcement in terms of some punitive, uh, some punitive um, measures on the Chinese regime. Admiral James Tervitas joins us, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander, author of Sailing True North, Ten Admirals, and the Voyage of Character. You could always follow him, find out what he thinks on AdmiralStab.com. Admiral, uh, first off, what do you expect the president announced today? I think we're going to see, appropriately, some new sanctions placed on China because their behavior in Hong Kong is beyond the pale. Even though it's a part of China, Hong Kong, as you know, Brian, was given 50-year guarantee of a, a, a special system of civil rights different than the rest of China. And that was part of the deal that was cut when Great Britain handed over what was a crown colony to uh, China. So the president's going to announce, I think, probably three big things. One will be some personally targeted sanctions against some of the Chinese uh, civil leaders who are part of oppressing the population. Uh, Second, I think he will say something about uh, taking away Hong Kong's special status. It currently enjoys Uh, exemption from a number of other restrictions on U.S.-China trade. It's a kind of nice package for China. I think that will be threatened or will actually go away until things improve. And then uh, thirdly, I think you may see uh, the president at least allude to the United States working closely or drawing closer to Taiwan. Don't forget that Secretary Pompeo, from whom we just heard, was the highest level official ever to call and congratulate the uh, current president of Taiwan, a woman I know quite well, uh, Dr. Tsai. So I think you'll see significant announcements. They're important milestones in this deteriorating relationship with China. Back in history for a second, his original statement that, you know, the Clinton, Obama and Bush administrations did not want to do things like this. They had a different view of China policy. I think it's fair to say why. First and foremost, there was a view for decades that the world and the United States in a leadership role needed to manage the peaceful rise of China, and that um, by working with China, we would gradually pull them into our series of international norms, democracy. I think it was worth trying, and it probably was at its height in the Clinton administration, There was some growing skepticism, but we continued to try and work with China under President Bush. By the end of his term, President Obama, I think it's fair to say, 
was leaning toward China as a threat. And I know that as a senior military officer, if you look at the last one or two national security strategies from the Obama administration, they do talk about the rise of great power competition, the rise of China as a military concern. But I think the Trump administration has gone the furthest, and I think appropriately so, in confronting China. Well, they lied. You lived it. I've, dare I say, let me just explain it. Uh, they built two islands. They said they wouldn't put military sure. hardware on there. They did. Uh, they continued to bully everyone in the South China Sea um, and buzz our planes. And they're still doing that. But I think we have put a little bit more muscle in there. So here's some things they're discussing. And I talked to General Keene about this. He doesn't think it's a big deal. The administration plans to revoke the visas of thousands of Chinese graduate students and researchers in the U.S., who have direct ties to the school's affiliation with the, the Chinese Political Liberation Army. Uh, so that is one thing. The other thing is about stripping the status, uh, the special status in Hong Kong. They say that might do more harm than good. And they also talk about delisting the 150-plus Chinese companies off our stock exchange because they refuse to submit to audits anyway. Would any of those three things matter to the Chinese regime? I don't think they would cause China to blink in this scenario, unfortunately. I think they're all right moves. Uh, but China is clearly made the calculus that during this period of uh, instability around the world and concern appropriately over the virus, China is going to have its way with Hong Kong, and they think this is the right time to do it. They're going to arrest the leadership. They're going to crack down. They're going to pass laws. Um, they're going to simply lance what they see as the boil of Hong Kong. And I concur with all of those steps that the administration has laid out. Let's add one to it, Brian, that I think uh, may have more impact. And it's what you alluded to a moment ago. It's ramping up these freedom of navigation patrols. This is when we send our Navy destroyers, even an aircraft carrier, into the South China Sea. China claims it as a territorial sea. That is, a, in my view, a good move to make right now to show China that we will confront them economically, culturally, diplomatically, and militarily. Let's uh, switch gears to Afghanistan. The president says it's time for the U.S. troops to exit, wants to be out by Election Day. Uh, and yet the Taliban has proved just as brutal as ever. They're already celebrating as if they forced another superpower to its knees and forced them out. Um, they, that's how they're trumpeting it. It matters to, and you've been telling me this for a while, that matters a lot in the region. Why can't we leave some type of semblance of troops there? I know it's easy for me to say that and by being in New York, but they're playing such a prominent role in my humble, humble opinion. I don't know why we would do this. Do you? I completely disagree with pulling the troops out, uh, on a, a political domestic timeline before the election it just doesn't make sense. And, and by the way, as always, let's just kind of keep it in perspective. When I commanded that mission as the Supreme Allied Commander, it is a NATO mission that the U.S. is a significant part of. I had 150,000 troops in the deep fight in Afghanistan. We were losing dozens of soldiers every couple of weeks. We're Brian, we're all the way down now to uh, 15,000 troops, and we're going down to 10,000 troops. So we've already withdrawn 95% of the troops. Our troops who are there are part of the reason the Taliban has been willing to come to the negotiating table. Uh, Ambassador Zal Khalazad, who has negotiated this agreement, I think has done a terrific job forcing these parties together. 
but what we have said consistently is that any further withdrawals will be conditions-based. And as we all know, our troops are now not on the front lines. It's the Afghans who are fighting. We're doing logistics, intelligence, uh, support-type functions, training above all. That's what keeps this situation relatively stable. And I think simply pulling 10,000 troops out um, is penny-wise and pound-foolish. We've got 65,000 troops still in Europe. We've got 35,000 troops in South Korea. You want to do some reductions, I would look at those places before I would pull the 10,000 out of Afghanistan. Absolutely. Listen, I'm trying to write in their checks, supplying, uh, doing so much for their economy and direct uh, funds. That could be done. But uh, think about this. If you give an entire generation a little bit more time to educate their female population for the first time and maybe have a, a, a generation grow up uh, instead of the Taliban Northern Alliance fighting, see a way in which they could be living, that says a lot. We've already put in 19 years. Why let it all wash away and have women, again, forced into the closet, have uh, men being tortured, have that tyrannical regime in charge, and allow terror groups to come back because... 19 years is too long. I just see more of an upside to staying uh, than going. I find it very frustrating. Uh, I think yeah. something else, did you be happy? Go ahead, final thought on that? Just, yeah, final thought is just that this is leverage, which is a business term. In other words, instead of investing 150,000 troops, let's make that relatively small investment of 10,000 troops. The return, as you point out correctly, is not only in Afghanistan, it's how the whole region views us. I agree with you completely. So the U.S. disrupted, we talked about this last week, the Iranian food deliveries uh, to Venezuela, who doesn't have refineries, they got a lot of oil and they can't even get the oil out of the ground anymore. So Iran was going to deliver fuel and we said no. So they reflagged their ships and put uh, these uh, ships under Greek-owned ships. Uh, but then we said, if, you, if the Greece, Greeks deliver these, uh, this oil, this, this oil, uh, we will uh, basically sanction them, making it unable, them unable to get insurance so they're not going to get the oil because of our hard-ass sanctions that we put on these ships. I, I love what we did this, how we did this. It, it is a, a smart move. And, you know, you're talking to a proud Greek-American here. And I am also uh, have advised over the years some of these Greek shipping companies. They're smart. They have integrity. They're not going to do something stupid. And uh, this is a very elegant way to continue to keep the pressure on Nicolas Maduro, the dictator in Venezuela. He's a rotten apple. Sooner or later, he is going to fall out of the tree. Uh, Russia doesn't have the funds to support him. China doesn't have the interest. Um, Two-bit countries like Iran will try and chime in a little bit to just Cuba. frustrate us we can, and Cuba. Uh, we can handle this one, and we don't have to send the 82nd Airborne down there. I think this was a, a very good use of geoeconomic tools by the administration. Why should we care about a China-India border skirmish? Because these are two nuclear-armed powers uh, who have already gone to war several times in the last 50 years. It's an intractable dispute. Um, it's accelerating, and it could lead to a war at the top of the world. This is up on the high mountains of Himalaya and Nepal, uh, Tibet. It is a very dangerous but distant flashpoint and could lead uh, to a confrontation that would 
potentially uh, have enormous loss of life, and you can't discount an, an exchange of nuclear weapons. I'm not predicting that at all, uh, but we ought to be very concerned about it, and the administration uh, has offered to help negotiate uh, between the two sides. I hope that offer is taken seriously. Um, last thought on this, Brian. Um, China, as you know, is unfolding this one belt, one road uh, geopolitical, geostrategic strategy that is going to uh, try and move across all of South Asia. India becomes a very logical ally and partner for the United States. We need to support India and try and defuse this conflict. The UK has uh, given up on, on Huawei, right? Yes, and I think you're going to see other com- countries uh, fall away from Huawei as a result of what has uh, the virus coming out of China and the way that China obfuscated the initial steps of that. Um, it's got to tell you, if you're a potential consumer, that you really can't trust the Chinese Communist Party. And we've got to continue to press our allies to stay out of the Huawei deal, uh, stand with us as we move forward. And I think there are going to be openings to pull some of these countries that might have gone and aligned with China uh, away from China in the time ahead because of the virus. Rapid fire and nothing you can't handle. Russia's holding talks with Syria. They want more maritime access. Uh, they already have ports there. Uh, they want more. Syria's in no place to say no. Uh, Vladimir Putin literally saved uh, Assad, who's having his own internal problems. Should we, do we have anything to say about this? We don't really, right? We don't have anything to say about it that can stop it, but we ought to be very concerned about it. You know, you and I talk a lot about the South China Sea. That's a very important body of water. Another critical body of water is the eastern Mediterranean. That's the seacoast of Syria. It's full of oil and natural gas. It's got competing interests between Greece, Turkey, Israel, Syria, uh, Lebanon. There are border disputes there. The European Union's involved. It's a huge flashpoint area, and Putin wants influence there. He wants those coastal ports, and it allows him to consolidate his control up in the Black Sea over Ukraine. It's a smart geopolitical move. Here's what we should do about it, Brian. We should get closer to Israel in a maritime naval sense. We ought to use uh, our NATO leverage, with particularly with Greece, and Turkey also to conduct patrols there. Um, And we ought to let Putin know that he's not simply going to be able to take over the eastern Mediterranean by operating a few ships out of Syrian ports. But in terms of practical effect, no, we're not going to be able to deny him access to those ports after the support he's given Assad. Uh, He is uh, Admiral James Stavridis. Find out what he thinks by going to his website, uh, admiralstab.com. And pick up his book, Sailing True North. Admiral, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. That was a good walk around the world. We'll do it again next week. You got an A plus, 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 plus. Thank you, uh, Admiral. When we come back, your phone call is 1 866 408 7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 Hey, thanks so much for, uh, for listening in and being a part of the show. Ratings going higher than ever. Uh, and it's all thanks to you, the pandemic. You're coming back here around the country. And to have a, a national show like this and uh, come from New York and have everyone care around the country is just fantastic. And if everybody wants to pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, if you guys want to customize it for, uh, for it's now out on paperback. If you want to customize for Father's Day, let me know. Uh, we're also going to take some calls right now with a few minutes we have remaining. Uh, special thanks to Admiral Stavridis. I really don't know anyone with more direct knowledge of almost everything I talk to globally uh, than him. Uh, let's go out to David, listen on w, WDBO. Hey, David, in Orlando. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I was just thinking about all these riots, and it, it's a pretty simple yep. thing to me. You know, I mean, this is a harsh world. I'm sorry. You break into my place, I'm sending lead downrange. And if that were to happen more often, there'd be less ri- less people burning police stations for crying out loud. And, you know, I mean, so embarrassing. It's a simple thing. Yeah, it is. They're watching well, around the globe. We're burning a Minneapolis, a Minneapolis police station. Incredible. Crazy. I went to St. Croix after Hurricane Hugo down in the 80s, and the guy that lived there for 30 years told me the only place that didn't get looted was a U-shaped complex that had armed guards on the roof ready to put a bullet in your butt if you were doing anything wrong. And they just they, they bought and sold the whole time where everything else was getting broke into and looted. Thanks, David. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Monkeys have run away with the COVID-19 test samples, locals fear. A troop of monkeys attacked a lab technician carrying the COVID-19 test samples. The monkeys snatched the samples off the suspected COVID-19 patients. There, evidently, uh, the later one of the monkeys who attacked the lab technician was spotted uh, on top of a tee chewing the sample collection kits. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I never test people for COVID-19 around monkeys. People are accidentally throwing out their stimulus checks because they look like junk. Some Americans unwittingly are doing it. Starting last week, the Treasury and the IRS started sending out these pay- these checks. Almost 4 million people will be getting them. The only problem is the debit cards come in envelopes that say Money Network Cardholder Services. Oh, so dumb. And NASA chief is all in for Tom Cruise to film on a space station. Uh, Tom Bridenstine said he'll leave leaving it to Cruz and SpaceX to provide the mission details. And Donald Trump warns of enhanced hurricane season, slightly enhanced, he says. So you think we have a slightly enhanced hurricane season? The answer is yes. Are we ready? FEMA is always ready. Good job. That's what we need. A hurricane in the middle of a pandemic in the the middle of riots on top of an election. (sighs) Brian, kill me, Joe. There's nowhere else you need to go. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Brian Kilmeade Show, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Appreciate being here all week long and nowhere else to go. Uh, If you want to get the latest information from the pandemic to the riots in Minneapolis uh, and uh, in neighboring cities, and actually cities around the country, uh, Harold Ford Jr. will be with us to talk about politics, presidential politics, uh, also about that very issue, uh, black and white uh, law enforcement, and of course this egregious behavior that's happened after that horrible incident uh, in Minneapolis itself. And then St. Paul, the riots, the burned out buildings, hundreds of which have gone, businesses are ruined, and of course, uh, first and foremost, the life of George Lloyd is lost. Uh, we're going to talk about that. 
Uh, and also got to remind you too, if you ever want the show and are going to miss it, you want to do it on your schedule, get the podcast. Brian Kilmeade Show uh, is on iTunes and Spotify. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. My executive order calls for new regulations to make it that social media companies that engage in censoring or any political conduct will not be able to keep their liability shield. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, Trump first Twitter, the president's executive order, targets all of social media, while Twitter attacks another one of the president's tweets. Number two. I do think as the country opens up and as the economy opens up, we're seeing some good glimmers of hope and growth on that. We could have growth of 20% at an annual rate, which will be the fastest growth in American history. Uh, That is Larry Kudlow, always a cheerleader, but man, I hope this is built on substance. The pandemic, where the cases are up, where they're down, and what's on track for normalcy. Number one. There is a lot of pain and anger right now in our city. What we have seen over the past couple of nights in terms of looting is unacceptable. Our communities cannot and will not tolerate it. Uh, there you go, uh, Mayor Jacob Fry. Minneapolis-St. Paul explodes with riots and destruction. Day three, a police precinct is set on fire and evacuated, all in the response to the death of George Floyd. Killed at the hands of Minneapolis police, perhaps. No charges yet. Surprising. However, this does not justify the looting and lawlessness, which is raging for three days. And law enforcement reportedly basically told to stand down. You know, when uh, Shannon Bream left, the, uh, uh, left her show... There were riots and unrest, because I know, because I watched it. And Shannon Bream, is, as she comes in now, uh, she watches, she hosts Fox News at night. But when I got up, they cut in for live programming. Shannon, you might not even know that, as the mayor, uh, shaken Mayor Jacob Fry, came on to, re, to go, again, go at the president's tweet and to try to tell everyone to stop looting. Uh, were you surprised that there'd be more news made after you left air? Well, not really, only because, you know, our fabulous Mike Tobin is there on the ground. He has found himself in many of these very um, volatile situations, I think it's fair to say, over the years. And so he was able to tell us that he thought last night, listen, this thing's not winding down. I mean, in in fact, from his on-the-ground reporting, just minutes before we went on the air, as you mentioned, uh, that third police precinct there where these uh, demonstrations have been going on for the past couple of days, I mean, the police officers got together in a caravan and left. I mean, they abandoned the property, which was then overrun and set on fire. And, um, you know, by Mike Tobin's telling, at midnight still, there was a lot of activity uh, going on. So um, he didn't think it had any sense or any sign at that point of winding down. Um, If anything, the crowd seemed more um, aggressive and more people coming, some of them just to watch and not really take part. Um, But it was clear that it wasn't dissipating at that point. The president just tweeted uh, 20 minutes ago. He said, the National Guard has arrived on the scene. They are in Minnesota and fully prepared. George Floyd would not have died in vain, will not have died in vain. Respect his memory. His other tweet was, uh, was, uh, I guess, qualified by Twitter because they felt as though he was saying something inflammatory that made it impossible to retweet or like. I later was able to do both things just out of a test. I'm seeing reports on Axios that reporters on the scene were saying no sirens, no fire department, no police were around Minneapolis and St. Paul. What's going on there, Shannon? Mm -hmm. Were police told to stand down? 
Well, I talked to um, a former officer who was watching the whole situation last night. And before we went on air, so more like 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening, he said um, they've lost control. I mean, they're losing Minneapolis at this point. And we asked Mike about this um, since he was there on the ground. If he saw law enforcement in the area with these fires raging, uh, including private business, were fire trucks able to get to um, these places and come in? Were they willing to come in? Um, and I have to say, every firefighter I know would be willing to go in there and try to do their job and, and um, save the property and, and maintain order, although that's not really part of what they do. Um, and at one point when Mike was reporting right from the area of the, of the fires, um, he was able to show us a couple of blocks away. The camera showed us that there were, it looked like police and fire, both looking like they were approaching the scene. And I asked him, listen, are these um, protesters going to be willing to get out of the way and let a fire truck come in? And he said, listen, based on what I've seen so far, they're not being really um, accommodating for emergency vehicles. There were reports at one time that they were trying to rock some of the vehicles or an ambulance that tried to show up. Um, we weren't able to get that on video, so I can't verify that. But there were definitely law enforcement vehicles that were within sight of that area and either chose to turn back or were unable to get in there because of what was happening. I want you to hear from Kendall Quayles. He's a Republican congressman from Minnesota. He was on with Tucker last night. He was able to broke down, uh, break down who was actually protesting. Cut 12. Three different groups of people. One, you have the legitimate protesters that were uh -huh. outraged, wanted justice for George Floyd and his family. Um, they were black and white from the community, equally outraged. Um, then you have the people you don't see in those videos. These are the most vulnerable citizens right now, senior citizens in those homes, exactly. a lot of single mothers that want to actually have a different direction for their children, want them to escape those kind of communities, much like I did uh, when I, you know, I used to live in Harlem, New York. And then lastly, you have the mob, if you will, taking advantage of the situation. They're not there to protest. They're right. being mislabeled as protesters, and they're not. Uh, they're taking advantage of the situation for their own gain and to just, and, you know, cause chaos and uh, anarchy. And that explains the jewelry store being ransacked, Target having those uh, cash registers broken open. That's no, those are not people grieving. Yeah, and, and, you know, we asked Mike about that. Can you tell us sort of the makeup of what you're seeing? And, you know, he's talked to a lot of people. We have a lot of them on camera who are outraged and want um, massive change, and they want to bring, um, you know, attention to the George Floyd case and people asking the question, listen, if you or I were out here and there was a video of us holding someone down and, and resulting in their death, would we already be arrested or would we go home and have dinner with our families? I mean, you understand the frustration that people are having. Um, but Mike said, yeah, it looks like there are a lot of people out there that he said last night were drinking and came out just to watch the spectacle and kind of cheer things on. There was plenty of looting. I mean, that was evident and captured on camera um, over multiple days. Um, but there is also this worry about people who show up, um, as seemed to be the case in Ferguson and other places where they're not connected to the underlying dispute, to the underlying tragedy. They just want to come and create chaos and mayhem. Uh, and they want to capitalize and leverage somebody else's um, movement or peaceful protest mm -hmm. into what they want to accomplish, which is something much more violent. So I do think it's, uh, um, yeah. from what Mike was able to tell us, a stew of all those things. So, Shannon, I, I'm not sure if you had the angle on your show last night, but the new angle of death of George Floyd while in police custody shows the white officer, Derek Chauvin, fatally pressing his knee into Floyd's neck for seven minutes while two other officers, this is from across the street, we're on Floyd's back restraining him. Now, what does that mean for the case? 
Well, you're the lawyer, but this is what they went on to say. The restraint tactic has already been widely condemned as a bad tactic and now excessive, and now you could add in unnecessary. It becomes even more egregious when it becomes clear that Floyd would have been fully restrained even if Chauvin got off of him completely. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the kinds so, of things that, uh, you know, the more the information they get, the more video they get. And you saw the press conference yesterday with the U.S. attorney who's heading this up, the FBI agents who are heading this up saying, listen, we are already well into this investigation. We need as much information, as many pieces to the puzzle as people can bring us from the public and from anywhere else, surveillance cameras or whatever. You know, and they said that's what our our duty is to do, is to put together a case that if there's a criminal um, situation here, that we are able to um, put together an airtight case and get everyone who's responsible. We can't rush this because then that is going to raise questions on the other side. Was this slipshod? Was this thrown together? And, you know, the county attorney there begging them, hey, let me do my job. I'm doing as quickly as possible. I promise you justice, but we do have to do things in the right order, in the right way. And every time they get a new video or a new witness account or something else that helps them um, put together the case, they say um, it's expedited and they're trying to do it as quickly as possible. Yeah, but but this is what Mike Freeman, the, the county attorney that you're talking about, said. And I just don't understand it. Cut seven. That video is graphic and horrific and terrible, and no person should do that. But my job in the end is to prove that he violated a criminal statute. And there is other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. I will not rush to justice. I'm going to do this right. Did you see that? Other evidence that does not support a criminal charge? Really? I mean, how, how do you explain that? Could he, if he died for another reason besides asphyxiation, does that mean he's not guilty? The guy wouldn't even be going to the hospital if he wasn't on his back. So what do you think? Do you want to sum, uh, surmise what, what he could be referring to? Well, I mean, there are all kinds of things we don't know. We can't know. We know what we've seen um, with our own eyes from these various videos and various angles. Um, but I think that there are other people who are going to want to say, listen, should we wait for a toxicology report? Were there um, other witnesses or other videos we haven't seen? It's hard to imagine because we know what we've seen thus far, but uh, law enforcement officials and judicial officials and investigative officials um, don't go with first blush and, and gut reactions to things. They may have other evidence we haven't seen that may paint a different picture. Hard to imagine, but that's their job is to make sure. But that that's what he actually said, though. Angle. But Shannon. Shannon, he says there's other evidence that does not support a criminal charge. My goodness, if you think the rights, not that this is a reason, justice is justice, but I can't believe it, and neither can Trey Gowdy cut a... Take the uniform off of that police officer. Just have a man with his knee on another man's neck. There'd already be an arrest. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't need to wait on yeah. the feds. This is a violation of Minnesota state law. This is murder. It's either murder one, two, or three under Minnesota law, but it's one of the three. So I'm happy that the feds are investigating civil rights violation, but you can take all the time you want for that. There's really no reason that this officer has not already been charged with either murder one, two, or three. I mean, that's Trey Gowdy, Shannon. That's not mm-hmm. a pundit. He's, mm-hmm. he's a great legal mind, and he's not right. someone to fly and- off the handle. 
Yeah, and he's, I mean, he spent years as a prosecutor, so he knows his stuff. And it does seem at this point, people, that's the number one question. Why hasn't this guy at least been arrested? That's not violating due process. That comes later, whether he's tried on specific charges or whatever happens. But again, just like he said, you take off the uniform, if it was any one of the rest of us and there was video of that happening, I can't imagine that we wouldn't be arrested. But um, whatever steps these folks take are going to be critiqued by people across the spectrum. And I think they're being abundantly cautious. Um, But I am going to be really surprised if we do not see an arrest within the next 24 to 48 hours. I mean, very surprised. Okay, last thing. It's the last question about the pandemic. You know, yesterday, Governor Cuomo passed uh, an executive order saying, if you are not wearing a mask, they don't have to serve you in whatever business you're in. Okay. Uh, the same day, the CDC comes out with a report on masks, and I'm going to read you what it says on the CDC website. If you are healthy, you only need to wear a mask if you are taking care of a person with COVID-19. Wear a mask if you are coughing or sneezing. Masks are only effective when you're using combination with, uh, with hand cleaning. Okay, fine. So you only wear it if you are taking care of someone with COVID-19. Uh, Shannon, this is getting a little ridiculous, don't you think? Well, listen, I'm in Virginia, and our governor mandated this week on Tuesday that we have to wear masks. Now, I mean, if you're outside exercising or something, that's different. But if you want to enter a business or an enclosed area, now we have to wear masks. So the WHO also, WHO, putting out information saying the same thing, that that you don't um, – it's not necessary yeah. if you're healthy and you're not coughing and whatever. So, I, listen, I think that it's, the more that you change course on the specific – guidance and direction that you've given in the past, the more you lose the public's trust because yep. they're frustrated. Listen, people want to do what's right, what's actually going to protect the most vulnerable and protect ourselves. We all want to do that. But when you hear conflicting advice and it doesn't make sense to you, it's really hard to get the public to buy in. So listen, if I go to businesses around where I live now, I'm going to have to wear a mask and, um, and we'll see how long that lasts. Our governor wasn't wearing a mask last weekend. Uh, when he went to the beach and he met people and took pictures and everything else. Oh, but he apologized. Um, but Don't I think worry he about took, it. He, I think he took so much heat on that, he decided, okay, masks for everybody. So um, that's where we're at. But, again, you lose public confidence when you continually change the advice and guidance Thank you're you. giving them. And I should say, I was wrong. It's not CDC. It's the WHO that said that. So yeah, that yeah, is, WHO. I don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks so much, Anna. We're going to watch you tonight at 11. Uh, I know you, sadly, I know you're going to have breaking news. Uh, yeah, Anna, thanks so much. I think you're right. We'll be there. Thanks, Brian. Okay, you got it. one 866 We're to come back. I'm going to talk to you, whatever's in your mind. Harold Ford Jr. next, uh, former congressman from Tennessee, who I think is going to run for mayor. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I feel very, very badly. It's a very shocking sight. Bill and I were talking about it before. It's one of the reasons Bill's here right now. Uh, because, as you know, we're very much involved, and I've asked the Attorney General, FBI, and the Attorney General to take a very strong look and to see what went on, because that was a very, very bad thing that I saw. I saw it last night, and I didn't like it. Uh, That's the President of the United States, and when he's talking about Bill, he's talking about Bill Barr. They have a lot going on right now, obviously, but he said, you got to come over, we got to act, we're on top of this, 
and it could get out of control. What I see so far is totally out of control, and I think I see law enforcement is told to back off. Their instinct arose to go forward, and then they had to abandon their own precinct like it's Kabul, Afghanistan. Please. Let's go out to Coyle uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. The place is beautiful. There's Howard. Hey, Howard. Hey, Brian. The, the uh, Floyd video is just gut-wrenching. However, I still do not want any of my tax dollars going to rebuild the Twin Cities. These voters need to wake up. These liberal politicians, yep. they crack down on barbershops and beachgoers, and you'll allow yep. protesters to loot stores and burn down police precincts. I, I think the analogy works. I mean, they're telling us you can't sunbathe. You've got to keep walking on the beach. They're, they're locking up gyms that just want to open. They're telling furniture stores, how dare you? you got a $1,000 fine. And then they back out of a city, and it's not the cops' fault. It's the politicians' fault. And they watch the whole thing burn in St. Paul and Minneapolis. And they're doing it also. There's riots in New York. 70 were arrested. Riots in Phoenix. We saw the cop car get a skateboard through the back window in Los Angeles. So it's rippling through the country. I think it's worth having a law enforcement conversation with how African-Americans are treated in these situations. And then let's get into it. But do not take it out on jewelry stores and dollar stores and targets in your neighborhood. No pun intended. I'm going to take some more calls before it's done, but I want to get Harold Ford Jr.'s interpretation of this. He's a New Yorker now, Tennessee-born, a congressman, a businessman, and an African-American. And a great guy, by the way. Uh, we're going to be back in just a moment. Don't leave. Stay in line. Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And so if you are white and you are watching this, look in your own life. How are you choking off black dignity? Choking off black opportunity? Choking off black people from having an opportunity to thrive? because it's not just that officer. This is a much deeper problem. How are all of us complicit in this? Uh, and, and, and how are all of us allowing this to happen? Uh, I don't have an answer today. I have not been this upset. I, I have not seen black people this upset in 20 years, uh, longer. And, 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 and I'm looking forward to hearing this press conference. I don't know what we're gonna do. That is uh, Van Jones of CNN uh, coming in, obviously, uh, very upset at watching the incident uh, with George Lloyd and how he lost his life. We don't know the details, but I think we've seen enough. And I think the president's almost there. He knows he can't come out and say X, Y, Z because you have due process. You are a powerful person at the president. But when you got people that's waiting and saying, listen, what else do you need to see? If there's any, Trey Gowdy just came out and said, it was, if you weren't wearing a uniform, that guy goes to jail. So joining us now to give his perspective on this, not only that, uh, politically how this played out and the riots that ensued, uh, he's seen it all. He's been in Washington. He's been in New York for it, too. Yesterday in New York City, 70 people arrested in demonstrations. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Hal Ford, Jr., former congressman from Tennessee. Uh, Welcome back, Congressman. Brian, thanks for having me. Challenging time. Uh, When I watched over the last three nights, I just sit there and say, how is this helping? I understand anger, but burning down a city and destroying more property? I don't understand it playing out that way. I'm wondering if there's grieving and there's anger, and then there's a part of this that is just opportunistic. I don't know how you view it. 
So when you when you when something bad happens to to any of us, there's generally a structure. Whether you're a child, you're a parent, you're a worker, you're an owner, there there's certain structures and there are protocols that you follow, knowing that somehow or another the grievance will be the wrong will be right or the grievance will be righted. You know, you have a group of people, and it, unfortunately, it seems to happen more so to black men in this country, where the power and legal structures uh, don't don't offer people the redress and the right that that people believe that whatever your race may be, that, that a right is wrong, or should say the wrong is righted. So you have a group of black men, and we see almost like every week, it seems like we see something where or an off police officer it's not every week and I, i'm a supportive police officers i'm a, a, a donor to organizations that support first responders so i come at this and and from the standpoint that i get where these protesters are coming from i understand this pain because i don't you don't have to be black to understand the pain of not being able to trust the system to actually work out a problem. Here is a black man that was pulled over for allegedly forging a check. At least that's what the, some of the reporting suggests, and all of this could be wrong. And what I don't understand is even if he forged 100 checks, he seemed to, in the video, to sub- submit it to the police officers. And then the next thing you know, he's killed. Now, this, doesn't, this, this just didn't happen to him. It seems to happen somewhat regularly, which is the tragic thing. To your question, Brian, I don't, I don't make any excuses or defend anyone that loots or, or robs or steals. But I tell you, I have never felt that kind of desperation and that kind of pain and that kind of knowing that no one is going to be held accountable or it doesn't seem like people are held accountable. I think a lot of our ire and a lot of our concern and maybe even frustration and anger for those of us who are watching this, some of it's got to be directed at why are these officers, to what Trey Gowdy said, why has this guy not been arrested? And it's not just him. Unfortunately, we seem to see this often. And I think there's just a frustration that has bubbled over. And again, this is not defending the actions, but I do think those of us watching, not in Minneapolis, and those of us who have not had this happen to yep. us, uh, thank God. I mean, th- these are, when you don't believe anyone's going to be held accountable for a death, uh, for a wrongful death, I, I, I get where people come from. I don't defend it, but I, but I understand it. I think it really calls on us to try to, try to fix it and heal it. Uh, as opposed to uh, anything else. I'm also right about something else. As soon as I saw how nonchalant he was with his hand in his pocket and his, and his knee on George, George Lloyd's neck, I said to myself, I got a sense that this guy's got other problems besides he's not having a bad day. He didn't lose his temper. He seemed, to, he seemed like he was at the library. Uh, what's the big deal? And, uh, like what, these people who are yelling for George Floyd – uh, he's just answering them, kind of ignoring them. This guy, Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, and it turns out he's got 10 conduct complaints, three police shootings he's involved in that led to no disciplinary action over the course of 19 years. The second officer seen in the video has a checkered pass that includes all allegations of police brutality and a lawsuit. And they're both together working this beat in broad daylight doing this. And in the reverse picture, when someone was taking video across the street, it turns out that this guy Chauvin didn't even have to put his foot, his knee, on the guy's neck because two other people were holding him down. So it was to- this is just, it seems, I always got to couch that, just absolutely terrible, untrained, haphazard police work which resulted in the death of somebody that might have been 100% innocent. I mean, look at his background. The guy's an athlete with two jobs 
that like 40%, like by 20% of the country lost both of them during the pandemic. So I'm outraged by it. I'm outraged for officers that do the right thing and are now forced to deal with riots 1,500 miles away because of these clowns. I, I couldn't agree with you more. My, my only point, again, I, I don't believe anyone that thinks we ought to go after all police officers. They, you know, I think they're amongst the most noble public servants in, in the public space and public life. But we have to, as a society, be willing to say that guys like this shouldn't be police officers. Um, I mean, I yep. wouldn't want uh, a guy like this serving me uh, at my favorite restaurant or favorite fast food chain or teaching my children. I and mean, there's certain standards. So I, I hope, you know, again, I hope in this individual case, these officers are held accountable. But I, but I do think we have to ask a larger question. I mean, this seems to happen more often than it should. And it seems to happen with African-American men not that that would make it right because if it was happening with anyone else, but it seems to happen with African-American men more than anyone else. And as a father of a son and a, and a daughter, uh, who were, we watched some of this last night on Fox, uh, Brian, my daughter looked at me and said, Dad, I don't understand. And she's six years old, and I, I just tried to explain to her that, you know, that police officers are not bad people. They're good people, but that guy right there did a very bad thing, and hopefully he's held accountable for it. And I can only hope that good people, whatever uniforms or outfits or costumes or however they dress every day, we all speak up about it. And I'm glad that, that you have and continue to do so, Brian, because it's the only way we're going to change oh, it. There's no question, because if you're, you're going to say everything an officer does is wrong or everything is right, it means your statements mean nothing. That means you're already dug in regardless of what happened. And you got to call balls and strikes, even though I got that certain thing of you haven't seen all the video yet. I just don't see any excuse for this behavior. And I wouldn't expect it in Afghanistan when you're suppressing Al Qaeda, let alone a guy that is accused reportedly of a $20 uh, handing out a a phony $20 bill. Uh, So we'll see if we can try to get past this. And the other thing is, so the other thing going on, which I think is related to this, is the president of the United States got his tweet on this. Um, I guess qualified, for lack of a better term, because he used the term shooting uh, and he used the term thug. Do you think the word thug has a ethnic connotation? Because until this incident, I didn't really think of that as a, I always thought actions, like that guy's act, that bouncer is acting like a thug, or I thought it was a behavior. I didn't think it was a race thing. Do you? Am I wrong? Look, I, I didn't see the president's uh, tweet, um, and I've, I've been following kind of from afar this back and forth between he and the Twitter company and all, and I, I, um, I hope I hope to get it all worked out. Um, the, the word thug, um, you know, it, it's a loaded term. I don't, I don't, when I hear it, I, I wait to see what, what, as I do with any and everything, I wait to see what, who the person or what the group or who the group is people are talking about. Um I'm more interested. Look, I mean, I, these debates are going to happen in, in, uh, over vernacular, and, 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 and certainly Thug has a has a, a connotation. If you talk to police officers, what they what they may think about it, and be interested to hear what they think if it has a racial component to it. But I know one thing: there was one Thug in that video, and he had on a uniform. Um, and there are two other Thugs in that video uh, who wore uniforms who did nothing to stop the, stop the Thug from from killing uh, from killing that man who appeared to be, even if he had done what they said he did, I don't understand why he deserved to die. 
so the three thugs. See, we that did we that, agree. Yeah, I hope, I hope they're yeah, held we, accountable. We agree on that. And uh, the tweet was: uh, This is the second half of his tweet. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, meaning the rioters. Uh, we're dishonoring the the memory of of uh, George Floyd, and then I was looking back at the Baltimore. What happened in I don't, Baltimore? I don't agree. I don't. I don't. Well, I don't. I don't agree with the president on that. I, 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 I differ with him on that. Okay. Um, they were criminals. Here's Those what guys President Obama robbing stores are criminals. Those are criminals breaking into stores, and so people outside protesting and and, and peacefully uh, are diso- not thugs. Showing, diso- they're not thugs. People stealing things are right. are, are criminals and thugs. But they, and, the, and the guys that killed that okay. killed this young man who happened to be African American, they're thugs and killers. Yeah, I just so I want to see when, when President Obama is obviously president. This happens in Baltimore. Goes on for days. Very similar. Uh, only only saw a couple of stores burn where I see so many stores here. They sit like over a hundred. But here's what President Obama said back in April 2015. The overwhelming. Uh, majority of the community in Baltimore, uh, I think, have handled this appropriately, expressing real concern and outrage over the possibility that our laws were not applied evenly in the case of Mr. Gray, and that accountability needs to uh, exist. Um, and I think we have to give them credit. My understanding is, is you've got some of the same organizers now going back into these communities to try to clean up in the aftermath of a handful of protesters, uh, a handful of uh, criminals uh, and thugs who uh, who tore up the place. So I just think that people are using it and the president does, makes it easy. They're going, OK, let's focus on the president's tweets when yet another president say it. And I don't even remember it, but we end up founding it because we wanted to see what the president said during a similar riot. Does that change anything in your mind? No, look, I, I don't. I mean, thugs are thugs. Uh, criminals are criminals and killers are killers. And in my book, killers are worse. Um, I, as I shared to me, I said, Brian, I don't, I don't defend any of that. But I look at the underlying issue here is that there are, there are groups of people in these communities who, who believe that the legal and power structures uh, as, as relates to uh, particularly young black men, that there's no accountability. Um, and when something is wrong, it should be righted. Yep. And I think there are a group of people in this country who believe that when things happen with police officers and black men, particularly if they die, that oftentimes those men, those thugs and criminals and killers who commit these commit these heinous uh, and heinous acts are not held accountable. And I, I, I think we all have to step back and try to, if you live in that community and you're a young black male or you are or, or you, you, you feel threatened, and you don't feel there's a place to go to, to, to get redress or to have, have that righted. That's a powerful gotcha. feeling that, that is foreign to me. And, and maybe, I don't know if it's foreign to you, but I, I can't imagine not having a place to have, have these matters worked out. And for a guy to get pulled over and be accused of forging a $20 check, and if the, uh, the camera absolutely. work was right, and if the video is right, he submitted to the officers and he was killed. Um, Something, I mean, you and I, but we agree with this. This is no argument here. I'm only making making the case that I think we got to put all of this in a, in a much broader perspective and hope we don't ever have this conversation again. And the real, the real hard part of this and tragic part of this is it seems like we have this conversation far all more than we should. Yeah. So this is too broad. I'm going to just, I, I'm tempted to not say it, but I'd rather say it and cut it short and continue it than not. You know, I'm, I'm looking at Frederick Douglass and Lincoln and how they work together to win the Civil yep. War. And then I remember focusing on Reconstruction really for the first time. And a lot of times I read on an iPad, 
but I have to walk away and disclose it because I'm so horrified by the way African-Americans made the transition from slavery to freedom and how some wouldn't let them. And the horrible violence in which they suffered and the way they were treated, I'm horrified. And I could see the progress we made along the way. Do you believe this is the last convulsions, isn't like this, of, of possible racism? Or do you think it's just continuing? Well, you know, I, I think the country obviously has made tremendous strides uh, over, you know, since, since, Recon, since uh, the, the Emancipation Proclamation, Proclamation was signed. I mean, there's still questions around wealth and communities and the income inequality and education attainment that we have to deal with. But this this issue here, this is a life and death issue. And I mean, I, police officers, again, I think are amongst the most noble uh, and courageous servants, public servants in the public space. Uh, and we have to be committed as a country to not only training people to be right in this space, but ridding ourselves of those whom are not. I mean, it makes no sense as you walk through their records, their conduct records, why, why they would still be, why they'd still be allowed to carry a gun, let alone be on the street. Uh, so this, this is one really, really ugly and glaring and, and painful uh, 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 aspect of something, one, one painful thing that needs to be corrected. Uh, but look, I, I make no bones about it. We had an African-American president, um, and this country uh, is the most resilient, most dynamic most ingenious uh, and the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth. Uh, this COVID thing has tested us, will continue to test us. And we're finding that as we, as COVID has unmasked underlying conditions in healthcare and other, and other areas and exacerbated challenges in the country, we still are faced with this ugly scourge of a kind of discrimination that, that happens on American streets and street corners. And, um, and for that matter, even sitting in your car, you, you you're not, may not be safe if you're an African-American male. So this is something that, thing that gives me hope, Brian. This is fixable. I mean, this is solvable. And um, we just, as a nation, have not committed ourselves to solving it. I hope the president, I hope Congress, so, and I hope governors around the country commit themselves and mayors around the country commit themselves to doing right. it. Because we shouldn't have this kind of conversation every week or every two weeks or every three weeks or as often as we're having it. Yeah, and by the way, on a quick note, and I got to go, but Rx Saver is an app-based search engine that helps patients find the lowest prescription drugs. You mentioned about we got to equal the playing field. Go look up Rx Saver, Saver, save yourself uh, money today. Uh, I'm chairman of that company, and we're proud of the work we're doing, so thank you. Go get him, Harold Ford. Thanks so much. Brian, thank you. Got it. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, welcome back, everyone. We've got a couple of minutes there. I went a little long with uh, Hal Ford, but he's one of the most level-headed guys, uh, insightful people you can talk to. And personally, I hope he runs for mayor in New York. We're a desperate need for competency. And for him to get along so well with Republicans while being a Democrat, and he was a moderate Democrat, which are almost extinct, just like, in fairness, moderate Republicans. You don't see many people flip-flopping back and forth between uh, issues without getting a lot of derision on both sides. So so-called blue dog Democrats are gone and the moderate uh, Republicans are gone. But he'd be someone that can deal with both sides. And to tell you the truth, it would be May in New York. You really don't have to be a Democrat or Republican because most of your issues have nothing to do with politics. It's policy. Um, the other things about illegal immigrants and, uh, and the homelessness and things like that. That really cuts on more of a practical line, in my humble opinion, but I'd like to see him do that. Hey, thanks so much for listening to us all week long. 
Pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now on paperback. Go to BrianKilme.com and order it wherever you go. Got new stuff there on, ironically, uh, Abraham Lincoln and Sam Houston, Civil War. Uh, and keep it here. And stay safe, everybody. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.